two more to go, two more vital signs, uh, vital signs of life, spiritual life. Uh, in Paul is writing to uh, a church in Galatia, and this church is an, a, a new fledgling church, new Christians, who are coming to a realization, experiencing the uniqueness of a spiritual life in Jesus. So what he's trying to uh, open up in their minds throughout this uh, letter, Galatians, letter of Galatians, we're in chapter 5, what he's continuing to try to encourage them to see is that the Christian faith is not about observing a set of rules as though you've changed allegiance from one pattern of life to a new pattern of life, it is a relationship with God who made us that is now spiritually empowered and causes us and helps us and nurtures us to live a life which is different to the life that we by nature would live. That is radically different to what many people think about when they think about Christianity. They think about a pattern of life they think about thinking about a set of observed behaviours, if you like, a tick box. And Paul is saying the tick box is equally living by the flesh, living according to your own desires, because the tick box is about you proving to God that you are good enough. Rather, the great news is that by coming into relationship with God, he empowers us. He dwells within us to live differently. That does not mean that we let go and just say, okay, let me float through life. We are equally called to a diligent life of faithful service to him. But that diligent life of faithful service is not in our strength, it's in his strength. Time and time again we see these paradoxes in the message of the Bible, it seems to say one thing and it seems to say another thing. Are they contradictory? No, they both go together to some extent in ways that are beyond our understanding. That we are called to live according to these demands of the fruit of the Spirit and we also see that we are empowered by God to live according to the Spirit. So, we have this word in the Christian vocabulary, discipleship, follower, somebody who's committing their life to this. Paul writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, uh, those who are good servants of God are like farmers who diligently sow and reap the crop. They are like soldiers who diligently observe the law, the demands, the commands of the commanding officer. They are like an athlete who is in training. We're right at the beginning of the, the build-up to, well, we're not at the beginning, are we? We're getting closer to the real build-up for the Olympics. There's people who have been giving four, eight, twelve years of their life to perhaps ten seconds. Where does that ten seconds come from? Diligent commitment to a life. And Paul says in Timothy, the letter to Timothy, uh, a good servant is like an athlete, somebody who commits themselves to it. But then we realize when we come to Galatians chapter 5, we realize that the ability to do that is empowered by God. It is the Spirit, the
that gives us strength to do it. We couldn't do it without God working in us. Now we see that the fruit of the Spirit, number eight that we come to this afternoon, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is gentleness. Gentleness. We've been trying to work out within these uh, different um, talks, well, what does, it, what does it defeat? We're going for a big one today. I think gentleness defeats brutality. Gentleness defeating brutality. We might want to live in a world uh, where we believe, we would like to think, that we live in a less brutal world. We would like to think that. We would like to look back in ancient history and see some of the things that went on, some of the behaviours some of the uh, capital punishments, some of the, the ways in which people treated other people was barbaric and somehow were better now. I, I would guess, however, that there's a lot of people who actually are feeling as though even our society is seemingly increasingly brutal. It feels as though there are things that are going on which weren't going on years ago. I don't think that that's because they weren't going on. I think maybe they were just hidden a little bit more. There is a brutality even in our society. And you know what, folks? We don't know the half of it on a world scale. We are not even scratching the surface of brutality when we consider it on a world scale. The brutality in this world is horrendous. We live in a brutal world. And the message of the, the, the implanting, the immersing of us in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, the implanting of God's word is that that tendency to brutality within each one of us is to be subdued towards gentleness. What does gentleness actually look like in biblical terms? What does it look like? You know, we could say, well, a butterfly is gentle. Is it? Well, I don't think it is. Certainly not when we get behind the word that was originally used in the Greek, because the word that is originally used gets together the idea of a willingness, a desire to express tenderness and gentleness from a position of strength. That's the important thing. I have the opportunity to be strong, to be brutal... To exert power and domination over somebody else. But I choose rather to express gentleness. That's what's behind the word. So in that context, I don't think a butterfly is gentle. In the word that we're trying to get behind. A butterfly, you know, it can't exert a great deal of strength over you and me. We could crush it in a moment. 
But we might choose to be gentle towards a butterfly because we have the opportunity to do one or the other. We have the opportunity to be brutal or we have the opportunity to be gentle. You know, one of them is flying around in your conservatory. Do you carefully uh, gather it together and uh, as gently as you can, trying to not disturb the, uh, the, whatever it's called, the dust on the wings, that you then release it to fly outside? Or do you crush it against the window? One is gentle, one is brutal. That's the idea behind it. Some of you might know a few years ago, I was into riding a motorbike and uh, I used to go up to uh, the milk bar and you get a whole mass of different people who, who go up to uh, the milk bar of Sherburn and Elmert on a Wednesday night, thousands of bikers up there. And uh, I remember vividly one evening that I was up there, there was this guy who I think was possibly one of the biggest guys I have ever seen in my life. He was huge. He was absolutely massive. He was probably as broad as I am half tall, or at least it seemed that. He must have been about six foot seven, and uh, he had a helmet which looked tiny on him. He took his helmet off, one of these open-faced kind of Hell's Angel kind of guys, took his helmet off, and uh, he kind of unzipped his leather jacket and it just kind of exploded out of his leather jacket. Uh, and then his... Um, partner turned up in the car and uh, opened the back door and there on the back seat was a little baby seat and this massive guy, huge dude, just takes out this tiny, tiny little baby and holds it, kind of cuddles it into his leathers and I thought wow, what a picture of gentleness. Huge guy. He's deciding to exhibit gentleness towards that little child, isn't he? That little baby. Is that the world that we would want always to observe? Yes. Is it the world that we always do observe? No. Brutality has been a challenge to our society as it has been a challenge to every single society from the very beginning of time. Well, from Genesis chapter 3. We saw it yesterday. Second story in the Bible. A brother kills another brother. Three chapters later, two chapters later, we find Lamech saying to his two wives, Ada and Zillah. Listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me. I killed a man for wounding me. A young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There's that little window into the nature of the human condition that comes through to us in Genesis chapter 4 when we see the tendency that has emerged in humanity to wreak revenge, to express brutality, because I have the power to do it. And the message of, of 
uh, Galatians chapter 5.22 is that the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to reverse and subdue that tendency of brutality towards gentleness. You know, brutality is the ability to be brutal. Gentleness is the ability to be gentle. We're going to look at a a little section of the Bible where we see amazingly, beautifully expressed the gentleness of Jesus. And perhaps, in some ways, it's a story which in our culture is a bit of a challenge for us to work through. We see here Jesus, who is in Jerusalem. He's there for a Jewish feast. We don't know which feast. And we see that there is a segregation that has gone on. Segregation has gone on almost naturally, it would seem. It just happened. And we see that um, probably, we think probably on the northern end of Jerusalem, we read in, in Nehemiah and Ezra the rebuilding of the walls, we see the Sheep Gate. Uh, We see the Sheep Gate here. There's pools, which in Aramaic are called Bethesda. And these pools are surrounded by colonnades. In other words, there's a bit of protection there, but it's become a focus, a place of focus. And what has gathered there is a whole group of people who are disabled physically in very many different ways. Now, straight away, I recognise that for our our um, 21st century sensitivities of political correctness, that as soon as we start to talk about issues of disability, we, we, we're challenged by something like this, aren't we? We read it and we feel, what, what, what's the Bible saying here? There's this group of people. It seems as though it's almost uh, unreasonable for us to identify a group of people who are separated out by disability and to identify it and talk about it. And yet that's exactly what the Bible does. It does identify disability. It does identify this particular issue. It does identify this group of people who have been segregated, uh, probably by need, you know, gathering together, a sense of oneness, there is no social uh, service, there's no welfare state which is going to care for people. By gathering together, there was at least the opportunity for some sense of camaraderie, for some sense of uh, at least focus, for some level of care. And we find that the one character that we see here particularly is a man who has been disabled for 38 years. We see that he's there at the pool. Now, there is a tradition, which is mentioned in a couple of uh, texts, some of the old texts, the original text. It would seem as though the tradition is, there's a legend that has gone on around this pool. And the idea is that if you manage to get into the water, as soon as the waters ripple... Whoever gets in there first gets healed. That's the legend that has emerged. I think it, firstly, 
shouts out to us of the desperate need of these individuals, doesn't it? There is a desperate desire. I will stay here and try to get into that pool because it might be that perhaps this tradition is true. It might be that perhaps there is the possibility of some sort of healing. And we find this man that Jesus engages in conversation with him. He says to him in verse 6, do you want to get well? And the man says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Doesn't say and they get healed. It just says, this is what it's all about. I'm stuck here. There's nobody to help me. I want to challenge, I want to really confront, as we look at this particular chapter, this whole issue of disability. The Bible seems to be creating a segregation here, two groups of people, those who are disabled and those who are not. We must not, I don't believe, read the Bible in that way. Every time any kind of physical, mental impairment is mentioned in the Bible, from what I can see, it is designed not to create a segregation in humanity so much, rather it is designed so that all of humanity can engage with the common problem of our humanity compared to God. That's the issue. So we think, we read it, and in our world of political correctness, we see, yes, those who are physically able, those who are physically disabled. That's the big gap. Now, in human terms, yes, I, ex I can understand that. But in biblical terms, actually what it's saying is, look, this is humanity's condition. Consider our condition compared to God compared to how he had originally designed for humanity to be. It is massive. So rather than us creating segregation, we create oneness. We create relationship. We create um, empathy, understanding. We are in this human condition together. And in fact, an expression of gentleness is that we do engage in that way. An expression of gentleness is that we do see things in that way, rather than seeing it as, for some point, of segregation, separateness. Do we think, corporately, of the tragedy of the human condition? The fact that this world is not what it ought to be. The fact that for many of us, for some of us, we do f suffer from various physical deficiencies, for various mental deficiencies. But the reality is that every single one of us 
are suffering the decline of our human condition. Every single one of us will see our bodies decline. Every single one of us will see that we can't do the things that we once were able to do. And every single one of us will see that our bodies will ultimately fail us. We are one in this condition. And Jesus enters into this world. We see he comes to this man and he says to this man, do you want to be healed? No one will take me down. I guess what the man would have thought at that point, if Jesus is going to be gentle, if Jesus is going to be kind, if Jesus is going to do something, what he is going to do is sit right next to me. And we're going to sit together. This is what kindness would have been in the man's mind, I think. He's going to say, this man, he's asking me if I want to be healed. Is he going to sit with me? Is he perhaps going to move me down a few steps closer to the water? Is he going to stay with me until the water's rippled? And then is he going to be the one who helps me to be in the water first? I think that's what the man probably expected in terms of the comment that Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? (laughs) And Jesus says, get up. Get up. It's remarkable, isn't it? He says to the man, just get up. Pick up your mat and walk. That's an interesting phrase that Jesus uses. He uses it again with another man who's dropped down through a roof. Where, the, where the, his friends drop him down in front of him and he says to the man there, just take up your mat and walk. I think it's a beautiful picture. Because it's a reversal that goes on there, isn't it? Both of those men have been utterly reliant upon the mats that they were resting on. They've been dependent upon them. And Jesus is saying to both of them, get up, roll it up, and you carry it. It's an amazing comment that Jesus makes. He says, reverse it. You have authority over what you have depended upon for all of these years. 38 years. 38 years this man has been physically impaired he has not been able to walk 38 years that presupposes i think that there has been a point in his life where he has been able to walk that it would suggest that we're not sure but it would suggest that it would imply that he's at some point in life experienced the loss it would suggest that and jesus says get up In other words, he is saying to the man, your hope for well-being, for healing, is not in the waters, it's in me. Don't you think, don't you believe that my way of helping you is by gathering you, picking you up, taking you closer to the waters in the hope that the legend might come true for you. Your hope is in me. And I have absolute, supreme 
power and authority. Do you see that in Jesus at this moment in time? The one who has the ability to tell a man who is physically unable to walk to just get up could equally have said, I crush your life out of existence right now. Do you see that? If you've got the power to say, get up, you've got the power to say, your life is ended. But Jesus comes into this man's experience and with tenderness, with gentleness, he gets alongside him. He says, do you want to be healed? Then get up. I am your hope. That is gentleness personified. It is gentleness in action. It is remarkable because we don't, we very often we don't think, do we, in terms of gentleness in this healing way. Because we never think in terms of what Jesus could have done. Now the interesting thing is, there is every indication, we haven't got time to go into it, but if anybody wants to ask me at the end, there is every indication that this man was not particularly appreciative and thankful of Jesus. In fact, there is every indication in the tone in which he's used that he probably didn't uh, particularly engage with Jesus. He did certainly didn't say, uh, please heal me. He certainly didn't say to Jesus, like the man that we looked at last week, I believe, help my unbelief. It was just, there's no one here. There's no one here to help me. There's no relational engagement with Jesus. Now here's what gentleness really looks like. It is a willingness to express gentleness who do not value that gentleness. Let me put it like this. Remember our biker guy. This huge guy who's cradling this little baby. If that little baby went on an absolute screaming rant. If he had no expression or that little one had no expression of value of the compassion and the care that was being expressed to it. Would he suddenly turn around and throw away that baby? No. He continues to express gentleness in spite of the fact that it is not particularly wanted at that moment in time. And that is exactly what Jesus does for this man. He expresses gentleness when the man doesn't want it, really. Or doesn't seem to engage with Jesus in any way in terms of any hope. We see later on in verse 15 that he actually turns Jesus into the authorities. There's this... There's this challenge. In fact, in the next verses, 9 and 10, we see that on the one hand we have the gentleness of Jesus. On the other hand, we have the brutality of religious authority and bigotry. This man, who for 38 years has been at the pool, Sorry, 38 years has been unable to walk. For much of that time, it would seem, has probably been at that pool, looking for hope. The day on which this took place, verse 9 says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. 
Can you believe that? Can you believe this man has just walked after 38 years and the religious leaders are bent out of shape because the man is carrying his mat? It's very easy for us to become all sort of self-righteous and holier than thou when we see that kind of behaviour. Look at it, isn't that terrible? This man has just had the most amazing gift of immediate healing where he doesn't struggle up, he just gets up. He bends down and he rolls up his mat and he walks in front of the Jewish leaders. And they get angry because he's breaking the law. But then I think it reveals the true nature of our human condition. It reveals precisely what we feel uncomfortable about. There is no sense for these religious leaders of any kind of relationship or oneness with this man. There is no sense of that human condition of joy and thankfulness and appreciation. Isn't it great? You've not been able to walk for 38 years. Isn't this wonderful? That's fantastic. Let me share in your happiness. There is no expression of that kind of human oneness. Just as there was no expression of human oneness before. You're separated. You're up on the on the north part of the city, by the water, hoping, perhaps receiving a bit of charity. But then that's where we are in our human condition. How often, in reality, do we express frustration, short-temperedness, anger, dismissal. When somebody comes to us with what for them is sheer joy, but because it doesn't fit in with our particular mindset at that moment in time, and what's more because it doesn't give any benefit to us, because we can't engage in it and gain anything for ourselves, very often we have a tendency to express brutality. Brutality. I want to use that word brutality because it is the opposite of gentleness. Whenever we do not engage, whenever we do not see ourselves in a sense of oneness, we express brutality. Proverbs says it like this. Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How often is our immediate response not the most helpful? How does that relate to what we've just seen in Jesus? I think the contrast is this. Jesus comes to somebody who has no engagement with him, who actually shocks him to the authorities later on because it's easier to shock Jesus for tell, because this man told me to carry my mat 
rather than for me to say it was him who healed me. There is that tendency, there is a willingness to do that. And yet Jesus extends gentleness to just that kind of person. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this afternoon, if you have found hope in him, it is because he has expressed just that kind of gentleness to you and to me when we are in exactly the same mindset as that man. While we are rebelling against him, while we are hating him, while we are expressing brutality towards him, he is expressing gentleness towards us. It is expressed in his human condition. He encourages us to say, see yourself as one with the broken. And I'm going to come into the world, the unbroken one, and become broken for you. My gentleness is expressed precisely in my willingness to be broken for you. Precisely in my willingness to be crushed for you. Precisely in my willingness to express kindness, tenderness towards you when you are rejecting me. That is amazing news, isn't it? Because Jesus, in one of our songs, you have won my heart. You have won me over. You have dominated my resistance. You have fought and defeated my rebellion. It's not as though we come to Jesus from the very beginning just loving the idea of coming to him. We reject it, we rebel against it and he defeats our rebellion because he is a gentle and kind and compassionate saviour. So if that's what he has done for us, then isn't it absolutely consistent that the next step in the process is that we would express exactly that kind of gentleness to others. Precisely that kind of gentleness. The kind of gentleness that is watching what we do, what we say. Expressing tolerance, kindness, care, compassion to those who are not even valuing our care, compassion and kindness. There's somebody who bought a fish tank. They bought a fish tank, super cheap, the back of a shop, because their kids had won goldfish at the fair. Don't know whether it even happens these days. Years ago, you used to get a bag of goldfish, and you know, for every ring over the over the prize, you walk home with another goldfish. And the kids had walked home with three bags, three goldfish. You know, that's a, that's a nightmare scenario for parents. It's like, what are we going to do with three goldfish? What, what do I do with that? We need a tank now. 
You know, it cost 50 pence to throw a few rings. It's going to cost me 50 quid for a tank. It's great. It's fantastic. So they go into the shop and they find a tank back of the store. It's a bit of a beaten up, dirty old thing, so they take it home, clean it up, fill it up with nice clean water. Next morning, as is often the case, one of the goldfish is not looking too well. Horizontal at the bottom. All right, okay. Next morning, goldfish number two, lying down in the sun. Contact a friend who's a bit of an expert on these things. Comes around. All right, what have you done? Well, we got this tank and um, we cleaned it. We used these cleaning products. Scrubbed it. Got it clean, filled it up with water. What did you, what exactly did you clean it with? You cleaned it with that domestic cleaner. Then you put water in. That has probably caused the problem. In fact, I would probably expect that tomorrow it isn't going to be two, it's going to be three that are going to be lying down at the bottom. Your desire to clean up, to get that tank clean, your way of dealing with that has actually caused the crisis. You know, I often think that one of the ways in which we most express brutality is in our desperate desire to clean up each other in our lack of tenderness in our lack of gentleness in our determination to clean up that person who's not what they ought to be and our words and our actions and our motives and our attitudes are like destructive cleaning products which crush the person and destroy the person and press them down and defeat them. And this message, it seems to me, this message of gentleness is an encouragement to us to say, don't see ourselves as separate from the condition. See ourselves as being immersed in the condition. Be ones, be, we should be people who are engaging with this, who are relating to it, who are saying, I am one in this failure. You are failing in this way, but you know what? I could just as easily be failing in this way. I want to help you. I'm not saying that I, I'm not going to be there to encourage you to live differently, but I am not going to approach it in a way which is this destructive, powerful, cleaning product which actually kills rather than encourages. You know, the Bible describes the law of God in one sense like that. The old law, Corinthians chapter 2, it describes it in just that way. It's a law which, which because of its cleanliness, condemns us. But there is great news. Because although that law is perfect and beautiful and righteous and holy, the law isn't going to save us. We need grace. And grace comes in gentleness. 
in the gentleness of Jesus who gets alongside. He doesn't say to the man, now do you just go off and do what you want, does he? Later on he says, look, stop sinning, live differently. And that should prompt with the man, but how can I stop sinning? How can I stop sinning? That's what it should prompt. For Jesus then to say, now trust in me. He doesn't leave him to say, look, it's okay for you to do whatever you want to do. But he does come with astounding gentleness. Because he came to relate to the broken. To relate to the physically broken. Which should encourage all of us to say, you know, in one sense, compared to what God's ideal would be, I am physically, emotionally, mentally broken. I am rebellious at heart. I, am on a, I have a destiny of being broken eternally. If it is not for your grace, breaking into my life with the gentleness of a saviour who will reach down and will remould me. And uphold me. And take me in his hands. If we have received that. I want to encourage us. Shouldn't we express that. To each other. That's what happens. When the spirit starts working in us. That's what happens.